even scared of the water. I don't know how she's gonna date a guy in the Coast Guard. You know, we all get scared out there. I'm not afraid of the water, Bernie. It scares me at night, that's all. You can't see what's underneath. Just more water. 36500, this is Station Chatham. Do you hear me? I repeat conditions hazardous. We've got an 18 foot fracture in our home. How do you want us to proceed? Over. You know they're saying this is gonna be the biggest storm that ever hit the East Coast. It's gonna be hurricane strength in an hour. What's this on the radio? Ship breaking up. She's a T2 tanker, split right in half. We got maybe two, three hours, and then we sink. Chief, pick yourself a crew, and you assist that ship. You hear? That's why I signed up. Guess now's my chance. A man in there don't know what he's doing. He's sending you out to die. In the Coast Guard, they say, you gotta go out. They don't say you gotta come back in. Gus, did Bernie go out on a rescue? I'm worried about him. This isn't what any of the other girls do. So? No one's getting over the bar in this weather. It's a suicide mission. Please tell me we're taking that boat to a bigger boat. You don't know what it's like out there. The compass is gone! Please call him back in. You can't be in here, miss. I need all the help I can get! You know, we're supposed to get married. You're gonna come in here scared every time you get out in the water? Please call them back. Just for the record, no, we're not in the business of showing movie trailers. Uh, we're not getting paid for this. Um, but I have to tell you, it was um, one of the best movies I have seen in a long time. Um, not just because it was a great story. Um, it was a great story, as you can tell. It's, it's a pretty exciting story. Um, it was one of the best movies I've seen because it really, throughout the whole movie, just uh, brought me to a, a metaphor, uh, an, uh, an illustration of what we're all about as believers in Christ. Because it is um, a wonderful illustration of the great commission that we've been given in Christ Jesus. You know, I love that line where he says, you know, the model of the Coast Guard, you know, they tell us we have to go out, but they don't tell us we have to come back, you know. Um, when you look at the words of Jesus, they're almost like that. Think about uh, the great commission for a minute. I think we got him back. There we go. Um, okay, I don't know if you can read that. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Think about that. What is it that Jesus wants us to do? To go. In fact, you see that emphasis throughout the Gospels. 
and you see it later in the epistles, that we are called to go, and we are called to go on a rescue mission, that we are to be giving our lives in the service of our Savior to bring salvation to those who are in the midst of their own storms in life, who are in the darkness of, of the seas of, of despair and depression, of, of hurt, of loneliness, of sin, of depravity. It's, it's a great metaphor when you think about it. To go out with the mindset, with the heart and with the passion, with the love, to reach other people who are drowning in sin. This morning and for the next few weeks, we're going to be beginning a new series. And the series is based on us reaching people. The series is really based around a number of themes that fall within that category. We're calling it each one. I'm doing this so successfully. Each one. Each one what? Each one be one. Each one reach one. Each one bring one. Each one love one. Each one teach one, and each one join one. And that's what we're going to be looking at uh, in the weeks to come, is the whole idea that each one of us has been called, called to be sent out to make a difference. I mean, the reality is this. If God's only goal was to bring us to salvation in Christ. Then he would just bring us to salvation, and as soon as we accepted, we'd be on the next transport out of here right to heaven. But obviously, that's not his only goal for us. His goal for us is to save us, and in saving us, to use us to be a partner with him. And that's our mission. That's our great commission. The reason we call it great is because it is the number one marching order that we have been given in Christ Jesus. I want you to think about that for a minute. Because if it's the number one marching order that we've been giving, why do we march so slowly towards it? Why do we lack the passion for it? Even though we claim a passion for God. In the next few weeks as we look at these topics, I don't want us to just look at them. I want us to be challenged by them. Because they speak to where we are in our lives, and in our faith. They speak to what we're doing in our walk with God. They speak to where we are in our hearts with God. And so in the next few weeks, I want you to really have your hearts and minds wide open. 
I want you to listen and to soak in and to be strengthened, encouraged, instructed, empowered, and sent out to do exactly what God has saved you and sanctified you in Christ to be doing in this world. Because this world desperately, desperately needs us. Last week when we were filling up, uh, finishing up the Beatitudes, we said this, that the ultimate in Christian faith and growth and maturity ends up being persecution. It ends up being persecution because when we become more and more like Christ, transformation brings disruption to this world. And disruption brings persecution. And if they crucified Christ and they persecuted him, then we better start asking ourselves, how much are we like him? That the love of Christ and the truth of him doesn't so disturb this world that in and of itself is evil, if it so doesn't disturb it that they disturb us, then something's wrong. We said that our ultimate goal in life was not to have a happy marriage, was not to raise happy, healthy kids, was not to have a good job, was not to have all those things that we thought when we came to Christianity God was going to bring. You know, we said last week, we, you know, we, we came to the faith for the right reasons, but those right reasons kind of got distorted before we were even out of the gate. We get, began to believe that if, if we love God and we accept the love that he has for us, that he'll bless us. And if he'll bless us, then that means that he'll give us a good spouse, he'll give us Uh, happy, healthy, obedient children. He'll give us a good job. He'll give us a good car. He'll give us all of this stuff and we'll just kind of cloud surf over the problems of life. And then when we finished the Beatitudes, we found out that what can really come to us is persecution because the real goal of Christianity, the real reward of Christianity is Jesus. And that's the great commission of Christianity, to take our reward and to bless the world with it. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at these themes. Andreas, you're going to have it in about two minutes. I'll give it to you. Um, We're going to look at the first thing we were talking about, each one be one. Each one be one. What does that mean? It means this. Before we can even talk about each one reaching one and each one bringing one and each one loving and teaching and joining, we have to begin with the very basic. Each one being one. If there's one truth, I believe it's this. You can't give what you don't have, right? You can't give what you don't have. If you're going to bring people to Christ, then there had better be Christ within you. 
I, I love what Rick Warren says. People will only believe what you say when they see how you live. Isn't that true? People want to see in you first what you say matters first of all. Warren Worsby puts it this way. Our job is to give from the overflow and not the undertow. If you're just giving from the bottom of the barrel, you're not giving much. And so reaching people for Christ has to begin by making sure that Christ has reached us. And so when we talk about being, I want to share with you three important thoughts to think about. Three important thoughts to just examine your own life about is so that if you're going to go out and reach each one, before you reach, you know that your reaching will come out of your being. We're going to look at 1 John this morning, chapter 2. Uh, because First John chapter 2 gives us a, a pretty good synopsis of what it means to be in Christ. We read this. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. So what does it mean to be in Christ? Being first begins with knowing. Think about it. Have you ever met somebody who... Um, was really, really excited because they met somebody special in their life. Maybe it was their first girlfriend or their first boyfriend or, or, or somebody that has just blessed them and they can't stop talking about them and they want you to meet them. And you can just tell that they're excited about this person. And they want you to know them as they know them. It's a pretty powerful thing we are attracted to and we become curious of the people around us who are on fire with the people around them. Think about this. Imagine if you met someone who knew someone that was helping them in a way that was transforming their life or their finances and they were transforming them in a way that you needed to be transformed. Wouldn't you want to meet that person? If someone said to you, but I, I have this financial advisor and everything he touches is gold. And you think, I could use that. <clears throat> What's the first thing you want to do? Well, can you introduce me? Where's his address? Being begins with knowing. The desire to know. <coughs> Imagine if, and, and, and actually I'll, I was debating telling the story, but I'll tell it. I remember when I was, before I met my wife, <coughs> I was, uh, I met this girl, I was dating her a little bit, and um, maybe three, four times. And so we had um, 
we had decided to go to a concert with some friends of ours. I don't know why my wife loves this story. And um, so my buddy and his wife came and met us. And so when I went to introduce, now you're going to think what a, what a slime ball I am, okay? All right, that's, we already know that. Um, so when they came over, I, I introduced them to her. I said, this is my friend Nelson, and this is my friend Wendy, and this is, and I couldn't remember. I think about that. Isn't that great, huh? What a, what a guy. And I was like, this is, I'm not going to tell you who this is. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking for anything to stall for. And, she, and she, I could, she's looking at me like, you are such a jerk. And she was right. Now, I've never done that with my wife. But who wants to meet someone a friend of yours that you don't even know, that you barely know anything, that you can't even remember the person's name. Nobody wants to meet that person. (coughs) Being a Christian means you know Jesus. What does it mean to know? first comes with honesty. If you're going to really know Jesus to introduce him to others, then in your own life there has to be honesty. There has to be honesty about who you are. To know Jesus, to be able to show up for the invite, is to there's something wrong with you that you're in need of a, a savior, that you've done it your way over and over again, and it just hasn't worked. Let me think about it. <clears throat> Anyone who thinks that they're fine and they're great and life is wonderful and, and, and they just have everything they need, how many of those people are rushing to know Jesus? Very few. Now, I'm not saying they don't need to know him. We know they do. But sometimes so sucked into the stuff of this world that if for a period of time in their lives they think they have what they need, what do they need Jesus for? Knowing Jesus means, first, there has to be honesty. Honesty with yourself. That you know you have to have Jesus. You know that your way doesn't work. You know that your way just keeps lending itself to disaster disaster after disaster after disaster. And you know if you keep doing that, not only will it not end well on this for you, but it won't end well in judgment. It begins in honesty. And second, it, it begins with clarity. Clarity around what? Clarity around Jesus. In John 14, 6, Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. There's got to be clarity. I, I, I can be honest about I'm a mess, but unless I'm clear about who can clean up that mess, then I can never really 
know Jesus. And if I don't know him, I can't be in him. Knowing means that I am clear. That there is a God, I'm not him. That I'm a sinner and I need a savior. There has to be a sense of who you are and who he is. Honesty, clarity, and lastly, sincerity. Then sincerity of heart where you give yourself to Christ, where you say, I believe in who you are and I want you for my life. I believe that you can do in me and through me what I can't possibly do. If you believe that, then you know who he is. And if you know who he is, you begin to become like him and you become made capable to share him. See, if each one of us is going to reach somebody, if each one of us is going to bring somebody within the body of Christ, if each one of us is going to love someone and teach someone and join with them, before each of us can do that, each of us has to be what God has called us to be in Christ. Each of us has to know him. Not only that, but John tells us this. It doesn't just happen in knowing. It happens in obeying. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new commandment, but an old one. Can you, um, maybe it's my eyes. Anyway, but if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. It's one thing to know. To know God, to know him through his commands, to know his personality and his nature and his character through the things that he calls us to do and be about. But knowing his commands has to translate into obeying his commands. As John says, but if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. Why do we obey? First of all, just think about that word obey. I mean, we all rush to it, don't we? I mean, just go out into the world and say, look, here's what God wants for you. He just wants you to obey him. Yeah, that's a real sales pitch, isn't it? Truth is that God wants us to know him and his great love for us. And part and partial of knowing is also obeying. Do you know what you do when you obey? When you obey, you point the world to God. When you obey, you bring yourself in greater fellowship with God. Because when you obey, you know what you're saying about God? You're saying that God is honorable. Think about this. If I go around and I try to share Christ with others... 
And I do so with a cigarette in one hand and a, and a bottle of Jack Daniels on the other, um, sitting on my couch uh, with, uh, you know, a couple of lines of Coke on the table, um, of which I got from ripping off a dealer. What does that tell you about this God that I want you to know? Who I say, oh, he's changed my life. You look at him and say, I don't want to know your God. Your God's a derelict. When we obey God, when we walk like Jesus walked and acted like Jesus acted, we bring honor to God. We bring glory to God. We should be involved in, in such good deeds and love for other people that they look and they say, where do they get that moral code? Where do they get the strength to live that way? How can they have such discipline to obey God even above their own base needs and desires. Obeying is a powerful thing, and God gives us the power to do it through his spirit. When we do it, we show that God is honorable. Not only that, we show that God is knowable. Because when you obey, what it says is that you have a relationship with God that you know him because it becomes clear in our obedience that he's very, very different from this world. And we are becoming very, very different from this world. Let me ask you a question. If you had to put yourself on a scale, one to 10, on how different you are from the people around you, how your obedience to God is primary in your life and set in your focus, where would you honestly put yourself? You know, we've been so caught up in God's grace for us, which is a great thing to be caught up in. We've tended to miss the rest of the scriptures. God wants us to obey because in obeying, we have fellowship with him. The more we obey him, the closer we walk to him, the more we find satisfaction. <coughs> People are looking for happiness all the time, but the truth is this. You can't experience happiness without holiness. It's just not possible. If you're going to be happy, you have to be holy because any happiness you find is just going to be fleeting. Obeying makes God noble to the world around us. And it lets the world around us know that we really do know him because we obey him. Lastly, it makes God preferable. Because when people see the way that we act, they see the glory of the honor of him. They see that 
in seeking to obey God, God blesses us. That God does something in our lives that is missing in their lives. Living obedient lives (coughs) is salvific to others because they see the results of those lives. And yet when we live disobedient lives, it's just the other way. I was talking to a man recently who did a bunch of things that just got him into a bunch of trouble. And part of the regret is when he looks at those things, those things also tell something in the world about him, his love for his spouse, his love for his kids, his dedication to his workplace. And yet in the midst of doing those things, he wasn't thinking about the results. And now when he looks back, he thinks, gosh, if people had to say who I was through how I acted, they sure to heck wouldn't say I was a Christian. You're obeying can make all the difference in the world in showing people that following Christ makes a better person and leads to a better and greater life. Because when you have Jesus, you have life and you have it abundantly. When you have Jesus, you walk in light and you no longer walk in darkness. When you have Jesus, you have the truth. But you can't have the truth if you don't walk in obedience to God's word. Thirdly, being a Christian means knowing, it means obeying, and it means loving. Look what John says. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in light, and there is nothing in them that makes them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. Now, John ties this throughout First John and throughout the other small letters right back to the Gospels, and that's this the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. To be in Christ, to be in fellowship with God means to love what God loves. And what is it that God loves? He loves the lost. Isn't that incredible? God loves people who are hurting. God loves people who are in despair. He loves people that are disobedient and sinful. He loves people that hate him. Because that's how powerful his love is. And that's the love he gives to us if we're really seeking him. You want to know something powerful about God's love? God's love stands on its own. 
I want you to think about how you love people. How you love your spouse, how you love your friends, your family. Does your love really stand on its own? See, God's love is a love that gives itself and it never looks for anything back. It's a love that just is there and it's powerful and it's open to anyone who wants it. And it doesn't require them to do something to earn it. God's love in us stands or should stand on its own. That I can say I love you to someone who doesn't love me. I can care for someone and do something for someone and I know they would never repay the favor because my love isn't dependent on them. My love is the love of God which stands on its own. It doesn't need anything else to prep it or hold it up. How much of your love is conditional? How much of your love is based upon how well other people love you? The love that God calls us to in Christ is a love that stands on its own. It's a love that is transformational in us. Transformational so much that it leads us to love our enemies. Because love isn't looking for what it gets back. It doesn't have conditions. Love wants everyone to experience it. Make no mistake about it. When, when we are called to love others like we love God, we are called to love others with the love of God. And that love stands on its own. It's a love that stands on its own because in in part, it's a love that sacrifices its own. True love sacrifices. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and Christ died for us. To love others means you sacrifice You sacrifice your time. You sacrifice your money. You give the best of who you are. If you're going to be one, then it means knowing and obeying, and it means loving. And loving means you are willing to sacrifice whatever you have, whatever you need to sacrifice to bring the love of God in Christ to others. We probably all fail at that, don't we? Well, I don't have time, and I don't really know them, and I don't feel comfortable, and and I don't have enough money to help them out, or or I, I really do, but I really don't want to. It's not love. If I have, love, does, love never says no. If I have and, and, and I know and I can feel the promptings of God's spirit to take what I have and give it to you, that it will bring you 
closer to him through my act of love. That's what love does. It stands on its own and it sacrifices from its own. Do you have that kind of love? Are you willing to sacrifice? If someone needs some of your time, some of your labor, needs your ear to listen and to hear, needs you to to just be with them and not judge them, Can you sacrificially give yourself in that way? Thirdly, it's a love that supports what is right for its own. It's a love that supports what it's right. In other words, it's a love that is willing to do what is right, to say what is right. It's a love that is willing to risk for what is right. Love is never something that doesn't have boundaries. Love doesn't give whatever somebody wants. Love doesn't say what other people just want to hear. Real love is a love that supports what is good and what is true. It's a love that doesn't shrink when others are doing things that are just killing them piece by piece. It's a love that is willing to do what others won't do because it's not popular. It's a love that doesn't worry about what if I lose for doing what's right. Being in Christ is this. Do you know him? Do you obey him? And do you love him by loving others? I mean, that's the litmus test. If there's any litmus test, it's that. Because people who walk in the light, they do so because they know the one who is the light. People who obey him, obey him because they are grateful and they are hopeful and they are willing to obey him because they want to bring him honor they want others to know who he is people who are in Christ are people who love others because that's what God did for us in Christ Jesus so here's the deal As I challenge you in the next few weeks to go out, each one of you, to reach one, bring one, to love and teach and join, know this, you'll never make it happen unless you are set in your hearts and minds that I am going to be one. I am going to live one. Part of the deadness of our witness in the world can come from the fact that we are not fully one. Because our doing comes from our being, and if we're not doing, 
There's something going wrong in our being. And we have got to be honest with ourselves. We have to look at it and ask ourselves, do I really know him intimately? Do I really obey him faithfully? And do I really love him passionately that I love what he loves? Because that's what people in love do. You know, I, I liked some of the little blurbs that were coming up in, in that trailer. <clears throat> that, there, that there are moments in life that define us. That there are moments in life that test our limits. The truth is, that's commission. The great commission defines who we are. One way or the other. And yeah, it will test who we are, but it will also make who we are. And we'll go down in history for that. One way or the other. We'll go down as those people who are willing to go out into the storms of life. Who are willing to risk all that we have to reach somebody else for Christ. Or we'll just go down in history as those people who said, too dangerous too uncomfortable, not enough time, too selfish. The Great Commission is great because it's the mission that God gave to each one of us. But it can become a great condemnation if we think it's optional. Because real love always gives back. Real love always transforms who we are to who we can be. And so I want to challenge you. Make your life in such a way that the finest hours become the finest years. That the finest lives around are those who have found life and the greatest mission ever given. Let's join our hearts in prayer.